So if we could please uh, stand for the reading of God's Word. We're reading 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 10. Your uh, bulletin says verse 1, begins in verse 10. (laughs) Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants this is not David, king of the land. He may not sing or even climb the dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity for them, acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down unto his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen? If you have brought me this one to act a madman in my presence, shall this one come into my house? So David departed from there and escaped to the cave at Adullam. And when his brothers and his uh, father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered with him, and he came over them. Now there were about 400 with him. Okay, please be seated. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you today. We are amazed at who you are, and we uh, thank you for your word. We give you all our worship. And now as we turn to a section of Scripture, uh, Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher. And Father, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually here today and that you would teach us something new, that you would allow us to know you better, love you more, and allow us to be better equipped to serve you. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Dwayne Scott Willis and his uh, wife Janet were the parents of nine children. They lived on the south side of Chicago. Scott, Janet, and their six youngest uh, children were traveling to Wisconsin to visit family on November 8th, 1994. They were westbound on Interstate 94, coming into Milwaukee, in uh, driving a Plymouth minivan, a Voyager minivan, and suddenly, a six-inch by 30-inch, 20-pound, piece of steel came off a semi-trailer that was traveling right in front of their minivan. Scott instantly reacted, knowing that if he hit that piece of steel with a wheel, it would likely blow a tire, he would lose control and, and crash the, the car. So he tried to straddle this piece of steel still bouncing in the, uh, in the highway. And when he did, it punctured the gas tank. Sparks from the steel on the pavement ignited an immediate explosion. Before Scott could get to the shoulder, 
the vehicle was engulfed in flames. Five of those six children were consumed instantly in that fire and died. The sixth child was 13-year-old Ben. He was critically burned and died the next day. Can you even comprehend that situation? I wonder how I would react. How would you respond to that if you were Scott or if you were Janet? Well, let's look at a time when the psalmist David encountered an extremely fearful situation, and we can see how he responded. Okay? So, uh, the story's recorded in 1 Samuel 21. That's the passage that, that we just read. Saul was king. David was the mighty warrior. And the common people loved David, right? You remember the, the women singing, Saul had slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Well, Saul didn't take uh, very kindly to that, and he became jealous. He viewed David as a rival, and Saul wanted to kill David. So David fled for his life and eventually wound up in the Philistine city of Gath, which was approximately 40 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Do you remember who claimed Gath as their hometown? That's right. That would be the Goliath, the giant that David had slain in 1 Samuel 17. So David had been to Nob, and Saul followed him there. That's 1 Samuel, the first nine verses that we did not read. Um, Then David fled to Gath, thinking that Saul wouldn't follow him there, right? So so David is in Gath, and the king's servants recognize him. They start singing the song, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Wouldn't you like to know what the tune was for those lyrics, (laughs) right? It had to be snappy. Everybody was singing it. So (laughs) the servants brought David before the king, and David feared Achish, the king of Gath, and thought that, uh, I'm sure he thought that this could be the end, right? So he disguises his sanity, acts insanely. The king, um, in 1 Samuel uh, 21, 14, then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man acting as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madman? You've brought this one to act a madman in my presence? Well, apparently, the servants release him. Okay? David uh, was scared, but he escapes to the cave at Adullam. That uh, is approximately 15 miles. He exfiltrated about 15 miles to the base of the mountains. This cave was much like a fortress. And uh, after this close call in his life is when most biblical scholars um, and commentators believe that David wrote Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is our primary text today. He wanted us to learn the events so that, um, so that you know, we could uh, react to these kinds of situations correctly. So let's turn to Psalm 34, and we can see what David's response is. If you didn't uh, bring a copy of God's Word, uh, please use a pew Bible. It's at this point in a truck stop service that 
we offer complete Bibles and hand them out to anyone who does not own a copy. We give out about 100 a year. Um, the chapel is open 24-7. The, the, uh, we do have an office that we lock, but the, open, the main part of the chapel is open 24-7. There are free New Testament paperbacks there for anyone to take. We have gospel tracts and CDs. Um, we uh, have a magazine called the Highway News. It's a monthly magazine. I leave com- uh, copies over on the table over here periodically that are usually a month or more old. Um, we get 400 copies at the chapel each month and hand those out when we're walking the pack- parking lot and, and uh, encountering uh, drivers who cannot come to a worship service. We send them on their way with one of these. Um, my wife Linda handed some out at the beginning of service. The inside back cover shows the location of all the uh, chapels in the uh, Transport for Christ network. It's your support that goes to support those things. We give out approximately 100 com- you know, full hardcover Bibles every year, 400 copies of that magazine each month. Your support goes to support those efforts, and we thank you. So... David was able to uh, escape to, um, to the cave and, the, uh, and wrote this psalm. Now, psalms or sacred songs are poetry. So poetry, there's literary devices throughout, and it may interest you to know that uh, Psalm 34 is one of nine acrostic psalms. That means each verse begins with a different Hebrew letter, 22 letters, 22 verses. Psalm 34 is a psalm of David. There's a little explanation in the beginning. That's called a superscription. And uh, it gives information that allows us to place exactly where this psalm was written. Uh, Many psalms have these. The superscription is not part of the inspired text. But it was added very early on and is accepted by all as truth. In fact, if you were to look at a Hebrew-English Bible, that's an English version Bible that a Jewish person would have, what we have as a superscription is their verse 1. And our verse 1 is their verse 2, etc. So the... uh, Let's read the, uh, the superscription, a psalm of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So feigning madness, feigning is pretending. Um, perhaps you've uh, seen a heathen kid that uh, doesn't want to go to school and feigns illness. <laughs> so... Um, the king of Gath was named... Akish, we read in 1 Samuel, right? And this says Abimelech. This says that uh, David feigned madness before Abimelech. Abimelech is, is stated as, in this uh, psalm superscription is a term meaning royalty, just as Pharaoh was a term for uh, a general title used for in Egypt. Some claim this to be an error in Scripture, but there is not an error. 1 Samuel names the king by name, and Psalm 34 names the king by title. So let's read the first three verses. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So David's response to this frightening, terrifying situation was worship. Worship. Imagine the terror of Saul chasing him 15 miles or however far through the countryside, um, going before Goliath's king, and then being identified as who he was. How would you respond? David responds with worship. We express our reverence, our adoration for God through worship. Worship originally was worth-ship, says, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. This comes from the practice of weighing gold on a balance. And when the gold uh, had the, the right, uh, you know, balanced with the, the fixed weight on the balance, it was sa- is said to be worthy. It's considered worthy. We say God is worthy. There's no amount of worship that we can give him that would tip the scale. Amen? So, he alone is worthy of all worship. To worship God is to recognize this worth. A.W. Tozer, preacher from 100 years, a little more than 100 years ago, said, Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient mystery and majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father which art in heaven. So Psalm 34 gives us great insight into worship. We can learn uh, several lessons from uh, this text about worship. And the first lesson that we can learn are six attributes of worship. So notice these words. I'm going to read the the text and emphasize six words. If you have your own Bible, you can maybe underline those if you you want. Um, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I will bless the Lord. How can that be? God blesses us continually. Here are some of God's blessings. An acceptance that can never be questioned. Ephesians 1.6, a bounty that can never be withdrawn, 1 Corinthians 3, a deliverance that can never be canceled, 2 Corinthians 1.10, a grace that can never be limited, that's 2 Corinthians 12.9, a hope that can uh, never be disappointed, Hebrews 6.18, an inheritance that can never be lost, 1 Peter 5, a joy that can never be diminished, that's John 15, 11. 
a peace that can never be disturbed, John 14, 27, and a salvation that can never be canceled, Hebrews 5, 9. Aren't God's blessings amazing? That is incredible. So each of us today are one of seven billion people on earth, right? And statisticians estimate that over 100 billion people have lived on earth in all time. Um, How can little old dot on the earth, me, bless all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God? Is that possible? Our text says it is. So how many want to sign up for that ministry? (laughs) That that would be a, a good one, right? Sign me up. How do we do that? We do that by worshiping him. God created us to worship him. One day every knee will bow to worship him. So it's a good idea to get started now. And we will be blessing God. I sometimes hear, I got a lot out of worship today. Or I sometimes hear, I didn't get anything out of worship today. I won't tell you which one I hear more of. But with the, the news is that worship's not for you, right? It's for God. It's for God's benefit. We're worshiping God. My mom used to love to cook for me. And when I came home from college or from uh, the army, she would prepare a feast. And she used to get great pleasure out of watching me eat. In those days, I, I ate a substantial amount. Um, as I ate, I would rave about how good the food was. You see, my mother provided, but I wanted to please her too. And worship works that way. We enjoy what God has done for us, but when we express that enjoyment, it brings Him joy, and our worship blesses the Lord. So our, our, our second... Um, Our second word we're looking at is praise. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. To praise is to express approval or admiration. While there are different traditions and different cultures and different places, the key here is that praise is action, right? Praise is to express your approval. To praise God is more than an applause or a compliment. It is complete homage, total esteem for the one and only creator and redeemer of all things. Continual praise to to the Lord is a vital component of the Christian life. C.S. Lewis wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So praise is essential to the Christian life. David continues with the attributes of worship in uh, verse 2. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. To boast is to uh, speak of deeds, characteristics, um, abilities in a manner showing pride. 
it, it's bragging. It says mine's better than yours. Or it says mine's best. Okay? A sightseeing tour bus uh, driver was um, driving his, his tour bus in Washington, D.C. The bus driver passed the Pentagon building and he um, recited how long it took to build the Pentagon and how many dollars it costs when a woman in the, in the back of the bus piped up and said, in Peoria, we would have built that faster and cheaper. <laughs> so next the bus passed the uh, Justice Department building. And again, he recited the statistics on how long it took to build and how many dollars it cost. And again, the woman said, in, Be- in Peoria, we would have built that one too, uh, cheaper and faster. So next, the bus driver made the turn and, and uh, was passing the Washington Monument, you know, the tallest stone structure in the world, 555 feet. And the driver was silent. The same woman said, hey, driver, what's that tall, skinny building over there? Well, the driver was driving, he looked, and he said, beats me. One there yesterday. <laughs> so we generally think of boasting as a bad thing, right? But the text here, we're not boasting about ourselves, Right? Nobody likes a, a bragging kid or conceited parent. Our text says, boast in the Lord. It is in the Lord, emphatic. Even the humble are glad to hear that boasting. So David's not boasting about himself, but rather he's boasting about the Lord. And it goes like everybody. Look at what my God has done. You know, look how great my God is. Look what he's done for me, and he can do it for you too. So... Boasting in the Lord is good. So we have bless, praise, boast. David uh, sings the next attribute of worship in the second half of verse 2. The humble will hear it and rejoice. So rejoice speaks of joy. It's expressing joy. Villanova fans were rejoicing last Monday night as... Their team won the NCAA National Championship. Um, Their joy was uncontrollable, right? Just springing up out of them. You see, we each have a fountain of joy within us. But our sin or our sinfulness kind of plugs that fountain. But when when we get right with the Lord in confessing that sin, the fountain is unplugged, and joy springs up. We're rejoicing, and it's uncontrollable. It just springs forth in our worship. So, if you've never experienced this fountain of joy, maybe you've never been right with God. The truth will set you free. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. So we simply believe that Christ, God in the flesh, died, was crucified on the cross at Calvary, and paid the penalty for the sin that I committed. Paid the penalty for the sin that you committed. Right? 
We believe that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And your joy fountain will be open. And Christian, confess that sin. Confess to the Lord and repent and your joy fountain will be opened. So let's look at verse 3. Verse 3, will magnify the Lord with me. We have uh, our fifth attribute of worship is to magnify. We think of a magnifying lens. We think of something with a lens when we hear the word magnify, right? Some kind of instrument that enlarges what we look at, right? The microscope would enlarge the very tiny thing or or, uh, it increases the apparent size, makes it bigger. There's a second way to explain magnify also. Consider this. It brings it closer. You look at Pluto through a telescope, right? It enlarges it, but it kind of brings it closer so that you can better see it. Or if you're looking at an amoeba in a microscope, those lenses apparently um, bring bring the object so it appears closer. Can we really magnify the Lord? Can we enlarge him? Make him bigger? We cannot. But what we, what we do when we magnify the Lord is we allow ourselves to see the size he really is. Right? We acknowledge and celebrate his greatness. We stop minimizing his commands. Stop devaluing his word. Stop obscuring his presence in our life. We begin to magnify the Lord. We begin to see how big he really is. And we bring him closer. So David gives us this final attribute of worship in the second half of verse 3. And um, let us exalt his name together. Exalt is to lift up, elevate, in rank, honor, power, character, importance. Um, So exalt is similar to magnify in that we can't actually elevate um, God's importance. We cannot make him great. He already is. But we can address our view of the importance of God. We can confess him as the one supreme ruler of all. The, if the Lord has been on a shelf in your life, it's not where he belongs, right? Exalt his name, lift him up, make him important. God is great, and he belongs in exalted places. So we've seen David respond to this terrifying situation through worship, and we've looked at these six attributes of worship found in our text, and if we can uh, just say them one more time here, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So we've seen that David responded to this terrifying situation with worship, and we've looked at these six attributes And the next lesson that we can learn from this text is the ascent of worship. Now, poetry, uh, psalms are poetry, right? And it may not always follow a chronological sequence. So if we look at verse 2, it says, My soul will make its 
boast in the Lord. In verse 1, his praise shall continually be on my mouth. So, worship begins in the soul and comes out of the mouth. Okay? Um, The soul, that immaterial uh, part of you, eternal, this isn't the time for the uh, dichotomy versus trichotomy uh, discussion, but it is that immaterial part of you, right? And, and the worship coming out of the mouth, it's interesting that, the, that verse 1 says continually. His praises shall continually come out of my mouth. David is saying no matter what the situation, praise for the Lord shall come out of my mouth. And he says it will be continual. Why? So the humble will hear it and rejoice. Let's exalt the name together. Worship is contagious. One man can learn from another and begin to to worship God also. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What a blessed mouthful. If if some people had God's praises on their mouth they would not so often have fault-finding with their fellow men. Hmm. You say uh, that uh, you don't speak much, then save up those words for worshiping Him. So we have the six attributes. We have this ascent from the soul to the mouth. And lastly, the text tells us the act of worship. Worship is an act of the will. David is making a promise. I will bless the Lord. His praises shall continually be on my mouth. My soul will make its boast. David is committing himself to praising God at every opportunity. Worship isn't only going to be in his soul. The worship is coming out of his mouth for others to hear. For others to hear. Worship is a decision when you feel like it and when you don't, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, in safety or in danger. Worship is vertical, directed towards God. It's not horizontal, aimed at our fellow worshipers, right? As a believer, we decide to enter into this vertical relationship with Almighty God. A great word in this section of Scripture is at the beginning of verse 3, O. So the word O could be rendered, I beseech you, or I encourage you. Um, Maybe even I pray that you will. But I contend the meaning is more like, oh, oh, that you would magnify the Lord. Oh, that you would do what God created you to do. Worship starts at the soul and comes out of the mouth. Do praises come out of your mouth so others can hear? Do others know that God is real as a result of what's coming out of your mouth. Worship is an act of of the will, and it's for all times. Do you bless the Lord at all times? So do you remember Scott and Janet Willis? 
had to reach into the flames to unbuckle their seatbelts there on I-94 coming into Milwaukee. Janet stayed at the accident scene while rescuers carried the charred bodies of her children to silent ambulances. Janet stood and recited, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Their church, Parkwood Baptist Church, where Scott was the pastor, had been memorizing Psalm 34. Eight days later at a press conference, Scott and Janet, hand in hand in wheelchairs, recited Psalm 34. Scott continued by saying, Janet and I want to praise and thank God. There is no question in our minds that God is good. We praise Him in all things. God is a great God. Now, accident investigators learned that the tractor-trailer driver had obtained his CDL, his commercial driver's license, with a bribe. Other truck drivers had warned him of this. It was a light bar hanging by a wire of this loose light bar, but the driver didn't speak English. That's a CDL requirement. Years later, the investigation went to the highest levels of the Illinois state government, resulting in 75 people convicted of crimes, including um, George Ryan, who had then become governor, and he was sent to prison. Scott Willis declared, God knows all history and time from its beginning to its end. What happened to us was no accident. God is never taken by surprise. And Scott was still reciting Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. David made a promise after a terrifying experience to bless the Lord at all times. And we've learned that worship blesses the Lord. We've learned the attributes of worship, the ascent from the soul to the mouth and the act of worship. Remember, those 400 people right at the end of the passage that we read together, um, 1 Samuel uh, 22.2, the 400 people gathered with him at the cave were those in distress, the discontented, the debt, those in debt. This is an important aspect of the truck stop chapel as drivers have a lot of issues. Drivers, um, I've encountered drivers who have been home twice in the last year. Um, there's marital issues. There's uh, depression, health issues, a lot of issues. And you, can you, in the quiet of your heart, <clears throat> make a commitment to bless the Lord at all times? When you're cut off in traffic, in a construction delay, or when you get an unfavorable doctor report, or your child is ill, or there's storm damage, or you get robbed, or there's an equipment failure that affects what you're doing. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Now, there is power in making a commitment public, so I encourage you to tell someone if you're making such a commitment. 
And as we sing our, our uh, closing hymn, let's let those praises come out of our mouths so that they can hear us in the parking lot. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this, uh, this wonderful, perfect day that you've yet again given us today, God. Um, Lord, we came here last week and we celebrated your resurrection, Lord, and uh, we're just so blessed um, by what was given to us, God. Lord, we thank you for um, rejuvenation given by the rain yesterday, and, we, and we're just so thankful for the sunshine this morning, Lord. Lord, we, uh, we are forever grateful for, uh, for Steve and Linda being members of our family, God, and we just lift up um, Steve and, and the Transport for Christ ministry as they, they work so diligently with a group of people who face so many struggles, who are such an important part of our economy and uh, an important part of our world, God. Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless them and their endeavors, Lord, and that we can uh, continue to support them with, in both finances and, most importantly, in prayer, God. Lord, we, uh, we lift up Pastor Dan and Diane as they travel um, back this way uh, soon, God, and that you will keep them safe and bring them home soon, God. Lord, we, uh, we ask today that you help us to give us strength to battle, uh, to battle the devil, God, and that the grace that we don't deserve and we fall short, Lord. Keep us safe as we travel away from here today, God, and bring us back together again soon, Lord. And we ask these things as always in Christ's holy name. Amen.